This podcast is supported by Understood Explains. As parents, we are often having to figure out things as we go, and that is very true for our children's education. And to help you out, I want to tell you about a podcast called Understood Explains. This season is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Ortube, and she discusses all the things you'd want to know about individual education plans, or IEPs, what they are, why they're needed, who benefits from them, and what to expect when you have meetings with teachers. I could have really used this podcast when my son had an IEP for speech when he was six. I was overwhelmed trying to understand the process and what everything meant. The episode on Understood Explains, Does My Child Need an IEP?, was the kind of info that would have really helped me get the most out of the educational support of the IEP for my son. And if you need that kind of support, I really recommend this podcast. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. Welcome to Mom and Mind, where we dive into all aspects of perinatal mental health and wellness related to pregnancy, birth, loss, postpartum, and new parenthood. It's so much more than postpartum depression. We raise the volume on all of these topics in the hopes that someday everyone will have the support and info that they deserve before they need it. Please note this podcast is not a replacement for treatment by a professional or professional training. Welcome, I'm Dr. Kat. In this episode, we are talking with Jaren Soloff, and she's going to be sharing with us her personal story and her journey through becoming a single mom after getting out of a verbally and physically abusive relationship. So we do touch on a couple of sensitive topics in this episode. So gauge for yourself if this is something you're able or ready to listen to in terms of those sensitive details. Outside of that, Jaren's story is really one of a journey to finding herself as a single mother and her path towards healing. As a young single mother, she's passionate about creating a new narrative for moms to find their voice and connect to themselves. She has a unique experience raising a child while navigating college, career, and parenting, and hopes to share her journey of single parenting to empower others on this journey. Jaren is a San Diego-based registered dietitian and lactation educator, and she's the founder and owner of Empowered RD Nutrition and Lactation, a private practice dedicated to empowering women through their reproductive years from preconception to postpartum. And Jaren shares her story with us and really beautifully states some of the things that we should be thinking about in terms of changing the narrative around single motherhood and how we talk about single moms and think about them. And if you are a single mom, how you think about yourself through the process as well. So let's meet Jaren. Welcome, Jaren. Thank you so much for being with us. Hi, Dr. Kat. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I appreciate you reaching out and being willing to share your personal story with us and a little bit about how you're supporting moms now. So let's go ahead and start wherever you feel comfortable with your story. Yeah, I think it's important to just kind of give some context and lay the groundwork a little bit on just how I came to the place of becoming a single mom. And I, my pregnancy was unplanned at the time. I was 19 years old. So just given how young I was, I had just gone off to college just a few months before and I'd gone up to college up north in California and ended up transferring coming back home and going to school in San Diego. And at the time I found I was pregnant, I mentioned I was 19 and 
you know, my daughter's father and I's relationship, we had just kind of been on and off again. So before I left for school and then during school and he was in San Diego at the time. And sadly, I was just kind of caught in this cycle again when I came back home and started school there. So when I found out I was pregnant, I, you know, had just moved in with three roommates. They had all these plans to study and travel abroad. And, you know, I was always just kind of a really good student. So I knew I wanted to pursue some type of graduate training. And, you know, I just kind of got in my bearings in college and at a new school and you know, the pregnancy definitely just threw a huge wrench in my plans. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Unexpected, unplanned. You had other things in mind for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And unfortunately, you know, the conversations around sharing my pregnancy at that time with just family and friends were just extremely negative and shaming and Mm-hmm. You know, of course, like given my age, it's understandable that, you know, that would be part of the reaction. But part of the background is just, you know, my upbringing had been extremely strictly religious. And so the nature of like an unplanned young pregnancy was just filled with criticism and judgment. And, you know, no one really understanding that I was caught in this cycle of abuse. Mm. And really understanding how that functioned as a part of it. It was just a lot of blame on me and how I really created this. So the cycle of abuse with your boyfriend at the time and or your family? Yeah, cycle of abuse with my partner at the time. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So your family didn't know about that? I think they understood that it was an unhealthy relationship and definitely didn't like encourage it. And I don't feel that they understood, you know, the severity of the emotional and the physical abuse and really understanding like, had they known that context and like the severity of which it was, then they might have understood, you know, the pregnancy a little bit more and kind of what maybe laid the groundwork for that a bit. Okay. So it sounds like it was pretty bad. And at the time, did you realize how bad it was? I don't think I consciously did, you know, I'm referring, I'm using the term and we could elaborate on a little bit more, but you know, it's the cycle of abuse is about like the type of manipulation that goes on when an individual or partner is being abused, whether it's, you know, emotional manipulation or it becomes physical in nature but your brain really just goes to this like fight or flight response. And so, no, you know, I really didn't understand like what was going on in that current dynamic. And I just really didn't know how to get out of it. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. So you became pregnant in that context, in that relationship. Yeah, I did. Okay. And did your boyfriend at the time, did he know that you were pregnant? Mm -hmm, He did. Oh, okay. And was he supportive or no? Supportive is kind of a tricky word. I mean, I think there was a lot of pressure around like, this is the only option, like you are going to have this baby. And I think that is really related to part of like the power manipulation that is at play in abuse as well, that the pregnancy and the child is kind of going to be an extension of that. And so you know, when there's teen pregnancy, when there's, you know, a 19 year old that's pregnant, especially in the context of 
an abusive relationship, there's likely also other conversations around, you know, what's the best decision for the mom and the baby in this scenario? And there weren't a lot of those conversations. It was really like, this is the only option. Mm. So, mm-hmm. Right. So you didn't even really have a chance to think, I'm assuming, think about what your position was. Right. Yeah, I didn't. And I think at the time, you know, like I kind of touched on how just our brain responds when we're in that cycle. It's like, I didn't even consciously really think that that could be an option. It was just very reactive to, you know, my partner at the time. And yeah, it wasn't like, oh, you know, this is a really tough spot you're in. And, you know, we could have conversations around the different ways that this could look and there just wasn't really a conversation around that. And I think part of it too, as I mentioned, is just the family dynamic I grew up in with, you know, very conservative religious values. And so there's not going to be a lot of other conversations at STEM when that's kind of the environment that I was around. This podcast is supported by Posh Peanut. Raising a family can be tough as we know, and it can also be amazing and beautiful. Posh Peanut gets it, which is why they make beautiful, soft clothing that is tough enough to withstand all of the rough and tumble of childhood, and they have sizing for parents as well. You could even get matching clothing for the whole family. Made from viscose from bamboo, the clothes stretch with your kid as they grow and are four times stretchier than cotton. These clothes are made to last, loved by parents, and approved by kids. Posh Peanut makes thoughtfully crafted, beautiful, and stylish clothing for kids and families designed in-house, from beautiful florals to your favorite brands such as Hot Wheels, Disney, Hello Kitty, and Barbie. It's also breathable and chemical-free, which means they're delicate on sensitive skin. So I got my Posh Peanut loungewear, and I've been putting it on, especially after my long client days, because I need the instant comfort and relaxation. It's one of the ways that I do my self-care because the soft, stretchy fabric of the Posh Peanut loungewear is really comforting to me. Right now, Posh Peanut is offering our listeners 20% off your first order with promo code MIND. Go to poshpeanut.com slash mind and use promo code MIND for 20% off your first order. That's poshpeanut.com slash mind, promo code MIND. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Right. So either looking back on it or what you know from that time, how were you doing through, you know, finding out you're pregnant and with the kind of, I guess, pressure all around you there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wasn't doing well at all, you know, and I think like we're talking about, you know, it's like, are you conscious of it when you're in the cycle? And it's just kind of like this fog where right. you don't really understand what your like emotional experience is. And here I am, you know, and I'm like 19 and I live with like three sorority girls and I'm going to classes, you know, in the midst of like finding out this huge news. And yeah, it was just extremely like difficult to process that Mm -hmm. this was going to be the next step of where my life was going to go. Right. Right. 
Oh, yeah, that is a lot, a really a lot to kind of get yourself through and wrap your head around. So what happened from there? So I finished out the semester at school and had just taken the summer to kind of make the move actually back home and just feel a little bit supported by family and just try to figure out, you know, what the next year was going to look like. And during this time, you know, I think just the hormonal aspects too of, you know, the pregnancy and knowing this like role of motherhood was going to be coming as well was just really put me in protective mode. Mm -hmm. So I think that really translated to my relationship as well. And unfortunately, the partner was deep in addiction. So he, you know, was abusing alcohol and it became much more easier for me to start being assertive and for me to start voicing just my needs in the relationship, which Mm -hmm. meant, you know, that we were not going to be together and that I was going to be starting on this journey of pregnancy and parenthood on my own. So I think that's where I started just kind of like bracing myself of like, okay, like this is the position you're in. Like, Mm-hmm. You're going to be doing this alone. You can't depend on him. Like this isn't going to be this, you know, idyllic, I don't know, whatever you think of when it's, you know, a supportive partner and birth right. and right. parenthood journey. So just started kind of navigating and preparing for what that looked like over the next few months. Right. So you broke off the relationship? Mm-hmm. Yeah. At that time, it- we were pretty much separated. Okay. And that process had been happening for a while? Yeah, it did. And like I said, it was just kind of, I think this is pretty typical of relationships that are unhealthy or abusive is there's usually a cycle of of like conflict and then of like, they call it the honeymoon stage of like getting back together. And this usually just continues and continues, which was very much what was going on, you know, in the first few months of our relationship. And after the pregnancy, it was just this I think just like internal strength and protection over myself and my child that I wasn't going to be able to stay in that cycle anymore. Right. I mean, yeah, thanks for speaking to that. I do see that a lot in various forms when people are in difficult situations, either in their relationships or difficult relationships in general, where having that pregnancy just kinds of brings a new sense of reality to everything and can bring things into very sharp focus about what you want out of your life and what you want for that child. It really does quite a lot to shift your perspective in the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Okay. So you were able to break things off and how did that go? I think it has been a, you know, for the first few months and then for the first, you know, maybe two or three years of my daughter's life, it was really rough. You know, there were attempts to try and repair the relationship. And I think it gets really tricky. You know, after the baby is born, there's a lot of like idealization that can happen. And like the honeymoon phase of like trying to make it work again. So I think there were a lot of attempts, but really through it all, it's like internally and instinctively, you know, I knew that this wasn't going to work. But I think just given my age and the circumstance, like it was just this psychological kind of protection of like, wow, like you're really going to be doing this alone and you really can't, he's an unhealthy, unwell person. Like you can't rely on him, you know, no matter how much you wish that were a part of it. 
Right. So that takes a while to really, really be able to see clearly and make the final kind of, well, I mean, I guess you're connected to him on some level through your daughter for sure, but being able to set that like emotional boundary is really hard. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, I'll probably touch on this later too, but I didn't have a lot of social support at the time when the nature of abuse is very isolating as well. So social support, you know, whether it's friends or whether it's family, it was very limited. And so I think that was part of the fear too of completely like detaching and letting go of the relationship would mean that I had no support at all, you know, because I had really either like exhausted or not nurtured a lot of the relationships in my life up until that point. So I think it took a lot of work to try and build up that just support for me to feel like I could completely let go and I was going to be okay on my own. Right. So you were saying that, you know, having the social supports was a little bit difficult or the lack thereof. And I think in part because of the abuse of the relationship kept you isolated. How was your family in response to all of this, you being a single mom? Yeah, it was really tough. You know, I mean, I think the one positive is, you know, my mom was a single mother. And so, you know, I think outwardly, she was very much trying to be supportive to just like be in solidarity with me. And at the same time, I think there was an inability for her to be able to like understand my emotional experience and to be able to just really validate it as well. I think when individuals don't understand the cycle of abuse, there's a tendency to blame the individual. And I think that that was a lot of what I was feeling was like, you caused this, like you chose this, this is the consequence of your action. And so my mom is the one piece. And then, you know, at the time we had kind of grown up with these really close, you know, family friends that had the influence of that really conservative religious background. And it was just completely shaming, Mm. you know, so it was completely, and I think this is where just the narrative really started of really negative self-talk of, Mm -hmm. yeah, this is because you chose this and, you know, because you made this decision and you brought this upon yourself, like you're going to have to struggle. Like this is not going to be, easy and it's going to impact your career and, you know, finances. And like, of course, of course, single motherhood is going to impact those things. But it was just this, like this narrative that like, I was going to have to like be punished for this essentially, you know, that was going to have to be part of my story. Wow. And that it's felt at such a deep level too. I mean, it's those like self messages are kind of sneaky in there because they're being told to you everywhere. So it probably feels like, you know, your thoughts are now in line with what everyone else is telling you and that that's true. Absolutely. It was like confirmation, Mm -hmm. you know, because the self talk just, you know, my experience, regardless of what I was hearing from others was so damaging already, right? Like I had already Mm -hmm. had so many goals and like things that, you know, I wanted to do for myself. And it was just a confirmation that like that wasn't going to be able to happen. Wow. That's really challenging. I'm curious then again, either kind of looking back now or what you knew then, how, how was your mental wellness at the time? Yeah. You know, I didn't grow up in like a family that talked about therapy or that was, you know, really insightful and like, 
gave me that language. So at the time I had no understanding that looking back now it was like, yeah, my depression was awful. Mm. My like, you know, just sense and perception of self was extremely negative. Just kind of at baseline, I'm highly perfectionistic and have a pretty high anxiety level. And so, you know, just how much that was being exacerbated through this experience was extremely high. Right. So just in terms of a time frame or time span, from the time you kind of found out you were pregnant through the pregnancy, do you think you were depressed and anxious during that period of time? Yeah, absolutely. And I think there was probably pre-existing just with the relationship dynamic, of course, and even more so in the prenatal period, it just got exacerbated more so. So by the time you had your daughter, what were things like in the relationship and how was the birth and all that? Mm -hmm. My daughter's father was like present somewhat. There really wasn't much of an engagement of a relationship. And I think it was just, you know, a few weeks after, because of course, this is like the ultimate honeymoon phase of like, oh, we just had a child together and like, we can repair this. And, you know, there was like, I didn't feel like there was any celebration per se, like during the pregnancy, either from family and just kind of like anywhere that like this was something to be celebrated, like bringing a child into the world and, Mm -hmm. you know, expecting that and I think there was a little bit of that, you know, shortly after the birth and the early postpartum period. So that was really relieving, but it ended pretty quickly with, you know, my partner having a relapse on alcohol and just getting confirmation again of like, yeah, this is not going to be your reality. Mm -hmm. So that was part of it. And very early, I, you know, was like determined to, my daughter was born in, in fall and I had classes starting and I planned to go back as early as possible. So I think she was maybe five weeks old and I took my postpartum self and sat in class because I was just so determined to like, you know, not let this, you know, veer a different direction. Wow. Did you have her with you or did you have help to watch her while you were in class? Yeah. In the early postpartum, the first like three months, I was still living with my mom at the time. So it was helpful to have her be able to provide some of that care. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's quite a level of determination at five weeks. Yeah. I mean, five weeks I was (laughs) not functioning. So it's pretty amazing that your determination led you to be able to do that. Yeah. I mean, I don't think I was functioning either, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and I'll probably speak more to this as well, but I think like just in that phase, everything was so chaotic for me. Like I had really no part of my identity was familiar to me at all. And like navigating all of these different role changes was just completely overwhelming. So I feel like school and academics has always just been a strength for me. And it was just probably the only thing that really grounded me. It was like the only thing that was familiar, like, okay, I can do this. I can go to class it provides this like feedback loop of like, okay, turn in the assignments, you get good grades. Mm -hmm. And like, it was just this kind of way for me to feel safe, really. Right. That makes so much sense. It's something, you know, something you're comfortable with, something you feel achievement connected to. And I mean, as a new mom, 
were you still 19 at that time when you gave birth? Yes. Okay, mm-hmm. right. So a 19-year-old mom, just in general, that your transition into motherhood at that age, how did you feel? Like, did you feel like, okay, I can do this? Or did you feel like, oh my gosh, I don't know what I'm doing? Mm-hmm. Any of those feelings, just in relation to motherhood in particular? Yeah, yeah. I definitely think that I was just feeling anxious overall. If anything, looking back, it was just like a lot of reassurance seeking. And I think most moms, you know, if I I imagine that will probably be part of my experience again, right, is we want that just validation to like know that what we're doing is okay. But I think what added to that was just kind of the negativity around my pregnancy and like the messages that like I wasn't going to be prepared for this and I wasn't going to be able to do this really impacted just you know, my confidence level. Mm -hmm. I think just objectively looking back that I did really well, just given the circumstances I had, I was able to have a doula present throughout the pregnancy and then the birth. And I think that was really positive to have someone kind of outside of all these dynamics that was positive and was celebrating the birth and was, you know, I had one or two postpartum visits and, you know, they were able to just encourage my just the intuition that we have as mothers and regardless of my age that I still had that you know that Mm -hmm. there wasn't this like age I had to be in order to feel qualified as a mother. Mm -hmm. Wow so you're listing kind of some of the supports that were helpful for you you had a doula which is awesome Mm -hmm. and then returning to school which kind of it sounds like helped you feel like you were doing something for yourself but also to keep you grounded Were there other things that were particularly helpful for you, resources that you used? In the immediate, like, postpartum period, I mean, those were probably the basis. I hadn't started therapy until, you know, I think, like, three years after, which would have been awesome during that time. But Mm -hmm. that was a good, you know, amount of support for that time. Yeah. What do you feel like you could have really used that you didn't get outside of obviously partner support? Mm-hmm. Yeah, partner support would have been huge. I think, you know, I mentioned that like I didn't get therapy until maybe like three years after, but mm-hmm. that being such a huge piece, you know, I had just gone through such a huge role transition and, you know, in, in the early postpartum and few months after the birth of my daughter was you know, heading back to school and trying to like simultaneously navigate and being a perfectionist, like master both of those roles. So Mm -hmm. I'm a new mom and I want to master and be quote, quote, good at this. And I'm still a student and I want to be able to like compete and still, you know, keep pace with my peers who Mm -hmm. are my age. So that would have been huge. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Did any of your peers, people that you went to school with know about, I guess you moved back home. So did anyone know about your pregnancy and know about your daughter? And Yeah, yeah, I did. And I had a, you know, had kind of a circle of girlfriends that I had, you know, continued friendships with. And, you know, it was positive. I think, again, just kind of looking back and like the question you asked about, like, did your family know, you know, the level of, mm-hmm. of abuse in your relationship? And I think, my friends also just knew that it wasn't good, but nobody was asking questions and mm-hmm. I didn't really have an outlet to be able to share like 
what was actually going on. And, Mm -hmm. you know, during the postpartum phase, just the level of healing that was going to take for me to recover from this relationship and the psychological aspect of it. And also, you know, they're 19, 20 and are in school and partying and traveling or whatever it is, you know, my experience was just totally different. So I think the level of depth and like genuineness was hard to get in a lot of my friendships just because our experiences Mm -hmm. were so different at that time. Right. They have zero or very little context to what it's like to have a baby at that age, unless some of them are also experiencing the same thing. But right. I mean, typically too, and where the assumptions around mothering is that you seek out other people who are going through similar things to you. But if your friend group is young and or not at that stage of life yet, it's hard. It's harder to connect with people around the reality of it all. Yeah, absolutely. And you asked, you know, like, would have been helpful during this time. And the other thing I was going to add was just, you know, like community with other mothers. Mm -hmm. I didn't have any of that. And a large majority of it was self-imposed just because I think there was so much negativity externally and also the way I felt about myself. Like I kind of excluded myself because I didn't feel like I could join these mom groups or Mm, any of these supportive, you know, just gatherings because I felt like my age was a barrier. Like I wasn't going to be able to relate to them and it just further, you know, promoted that isolation for me. Mm -hmm. Right. So, right. You have several different things impacting you at the same time, which sounds like it felt isolating in and of itself. And then just literally not having the people around that you could reach out to your support. Yeah, absolutely. And just like normalization of motherhood Mm -hmm. too, you know, like, part of those communities of, you know, mommy groups. And during that postpartum time is, you know, and the whole like postpartum depression and anxiety piece, like I might have had more awareness that that was part of my experience. If I was able to share about it or to hear from another mother and say, Oh, actually this is not normal. Like this doesn't have to be part of, you know, what you're going through right now. When would you say you kind of figured out or found out that what you were going through wasn't quote unquote normal? I really don't think I was able to have a language or identify it until my daughter was three or four years old. And that was only when I began therapy. I didn't know those terms or that language, even growing up and, you know, having experience with therapy or any of that. What was that like for you to kind of either realize or understand what you had been going through? It was extremely validating. It was so relieving to know that like there was a label for what was going on because Mm -hmm. I think there was so much fear that this was who I was going to continue to be for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. And like part of the whole depression anxiety piece was Like I've mentioned, just that really negative internal dialogue that was resounding in my head. And, you know, it's like, is this the way it's going to be? Like, I'm always going to have to work this hard. I'm always going to have to struggle. And it was just so limiting for me. So it was really, really validating and healing to have a label for, okay, this is what was going on for me. And it doesn't always have to be like this. That's awesome. 
Wow. That's a long time to struggle. Absolutely. But I can almost hear the relief in your voice just remembering what that was like to know that you're not alone and it's not just you and there's a name for this. Yeah, absolutely. And again, it's kind of like the chicken or the egg thing. It's like, did I not know it wasn't, you know, part of the experience because I had isolated myself so much or from other moms and just like the motherhood experience or was it because there just wasn't as much conversation in the culture, you know, seven years ago where we weren't talking about postpartum depression and anxiety. Right. And it could be all of that. And there's so many factors. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Ko, and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I am Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. And you were describing, too, that you might have had depression and anxiety prior to, and, you know, that is a compounding factor. Yeah, there's so much that goes into it. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's like looking at it, it's like, well, how did I get myself in this abusive relationship in the first place, you know, and like, what were some of the maintenance factors that probably set me up for that, you know? So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Right. So your daughter's how old now? My daughter is seven. Oh, great. So you've been getting support and or healing since she was three or four. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Great. Yeah, it was like the end of my kind of the last year of college, I think. And I, I don't even know how I found out of it, but I utilized the student counseling services, which was awesome. You know, I had access to an amazing psychologist and, you know, started being able to do some of the work and I continue to, you know, work with her to this day. Oh, that's great. That's really awesome. Okay. So, and along the way you finished school. I did. Yeah. And so I graduated college, my undergraduate when my daughter was four and I, you know, went on to my background is in nutrition and I went on to get my 
dietitian credential. And certainly like as my daughter was older, it was becoming much easier just in terms of like the level of care that was being provided and her having a lot more independence and just, you know, mobility. But, you know, during college, she was in care full time. And I think looking back on it, I wish I could have like given myself a little bit of grace of like, Hey, you don't have to take a full course load and like graduate with your peers on time. Like it might make sense to to do this part-time and just take a little longer or to take a break and go back or, you know, whatever would have made sense. But, Mm -hmm. you know, that was just how it happened. And I was able to get a, you know, a great job at a, you know, really renowned university and, you know, worked for the past two to three years just in my profession. And I feel like that period of having a career and having an income and having access to good psychological support and, you know, better a social network has just been like tremendously healing. Right, right. Absolutely. That is a lot, a lot to do. I mean, a lot to go through in a short period of time in terms of raising your daughter and going to school. Um, and it just makes me think of how the strengths that you had and have uh, to get you through this period of time, looking back on it. And maybe even now, what do you think were your strengths that help you get through this? I think of like resilience, really. You know, it's like when people ask now or even then, like how I did it, I'm kind of at a loss for words. I think like, my mindset was so like, just, this is what I have to do. Like, I didn't really know what else to do, whether it was the identity piece or just this, you know, like a self-prescribed goal I had given myself to try and make it different. But I think I was extremely resilient, like given the circumstances that I was in when it could have looked so many different ways, but Mm -hmm. that's a huge piece of it. Yeah, that's absolutely true for you. And then I'm also thinking about also other single moms who are having to navigate their life in whatever context it is, either choosing to or finding out that they are going to be doing this by themselves. It does take an incredible amount of strength and resilience to do that. Yeah, absolutely. From your perspective and what you've been through, do you have any insights on what you think we could all be doing better to support single mothers? Yeah, I think like support is probably the biggest thing that comes to mind, you know, and like my circumstance and my journey is just one example of like how I found myself as a single mother. And it's not necessarily representative of all the different ways that women are going to find themselves as a single parent, you know, whether it's through leaving a relationship, whether it's through, you know, becoming a widow, all types of different directions. So when that becomes part of the picture, I think it would be tremendous to know that there is village support around, you know, single parenting. So Mm -hmm. I think that's probably the biggest fear of, you know, individuals if they're thinking about leaving a relationship or looking at navigating the parenting journey solo is like, am I going to get the support that I need? Am I going to be able to do this? Because it is designed to be, you know, a two person plus job. So just knowing that there are, you know, just neighbors that can help. And if there are ways that you can find family support nearby, I don't think that 
it would have been so tremendously difficult if I had not had my mom nearby and continue to have her nearby mm-hmm. just location wise to this day sure. um, for me to be where I'm at, you know, just in my career and life. So I think that's, that's definitely huge. Yeah, absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. And how is it that you're supporting moms now through your career? You know, even prior to my pregnancy, I knew that I had wanted to just work with women in some way. And I think it's taken me some time to figure out exactly what that looks like. You know, and I feel like a huge passion and responsibility to serve teen moms in some way. And it doesn't necessarily look exactly like that right now, but so I work with women who are you know, breastfeeding. So I work with them as lactation consultant, you know, soon after they have their baby in the early postpartum period. And then I work with them as a dietitian, just in the, you know, beginning parts of motherhood. So any kind of feeding challenges, I'll support them through that as well. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Great. So you're around a lot of mommies, mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of moms in your work. That's great. Yeah. And I think, like I said, it's like, it takes a lot of different forms, but Mm -hmm. it was just an area that was just extremely important to me. Right. Absolutely. So if you'd like to leave us with any kind of words of hope or encouragement to any moms who may be listening, single moms in particular. Yeah, absolutely. The one thing I wanted to make sure I touched on was creating like a different narrative around single motherhood. You know, I think there is still so much stigma and shame around being a single mom. That's certainly been part of, you know, my experience, but it doesn't have to be that way. Like, you know, single moms are not like inept, right? Like we can raise strong, resilient kids. We can still build businesses that we want. We can have the careers that we want. And We also can have unique interests that are, you know, outside of motherhood. Like Mm -hmm. we are still individuals and humans ourselves. And I think just given, you know, our status as single moms, it can make it extremely difficult to have the whole self-care piece. Mm -hmm. But I, you know, I've come to learn just how important that is. Like me feeling like I have my own identity and own interests is extremely important. And I think we need to see more single mothers doing well and talking about it and, you know, not feeling ashamed for mm-hmm. so long. I felt like it was this huge, shameful secret that I was single and I was unmarried and I was so young raising a kid. And if I would have been more open and shared, you know, what my experience was, then I probably could have rallied a lot of support mm-hmm. and I didn't, you know, so if I would have seen and heard more conversations around single motherhood and probably would have been extremely empowering. But yeah, you're totally right. I love all of that. Thank you for sharing that. And in particular, that this kind of taking the shame and stigma away and changing the narrative and changing how we talk about single moms. And that makes perfect sense. And absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Oh, I really, really hope that everyone can hear that and take that to heart and incorporate that into how we think and talk about and with single mothers and how we support them. Yeah, me too. I think it's extremely important. Yeah. I was just going to mention like single moms not being afraid to do well. Like I think a lot of single parents, you know, my mindset was 
the best I can do is just like, okay. And it doesn't have to be just, okay. It can actually Mm -hmm. be like, we can thrive, right? Like Mm -hmm. we can not just survive, but we can do really, really well. And like I talked about just a minute ago, like we need to continue to talk about that so that we can see those examples. Mm -hmm. Right. And you were kind of touching on that throughout, as you were talking about it, kind of feeling like you just had to kind of make it through and just bear this kind of struggle and that you were going to like in the very beginning that you were going to have to suffer. And that was part of this. And I just love that you've turned that around and turned it on its head. And you're saying, no, that that is not the narrative we need to believe. Mm -hmm. It's really empowering. Yeah. And I think that mindset keeps a lot of women in relationships that maybe are not healthy or serving them in a lot of ways because they're fearful that that's going to be their reality. So I think it's important to point out that, yeah, you can do really well. Yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you for that. I'm just so hopeful that everyone can hear this and really, really take this to heart. And I thank you so much for your time and sharing your story and the work that you're doing and advocating for mothers. Likewise, Dr. Kat, your podcast has just been such a wealth of information and it's something I wish I would have had seven years ago. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you again, Jaren, for coming on with us. If you guys would like to get connected with Jaren, go to empoweredrd.com. Find her on Instagram or Facebook at empoweredrd. And as usual, if you have not yet subscribed to the Mom and Mind podcast, please join us and subscribe from your favorite listening platform. We'd love for you also to join us at the Mom and Mind Connection Facebook group where we are creating a community around the Mom and Mind podcast to share about our experiences just a little deeper. Thank you for joining us. Until next time. Thank you so much for joining us today. Please share this podcast. Together we can support moms and families so that no one has to deal with this alone. Come connect with us at momandmind.com. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips.